bring your Bible and eight Ohio women to come on up here and bring your Bible so you can read a scripture out loud. Okay, so first one up here. Whoops. Psalm 107.9. Psalm 107.9. Next, Proverbs 25.21. Number one. Closer to me. Use your phone or borrow, borrow a Bible. There's one sitting on the front row. Borrow blue in your Bible. There might be, is that blue thing a Bible there too? Okay, you good? You got yours? Psalm 107, 9. Second is Proverbs 25, 21. Third, Isaiah 55, 1. Number four, Matthew 25, 35. Next, John 4.14. Next, Romans 12.20. Next, 2 Corinthians 11.27. Do you have a Bible with you? Eleven twenty-seven. Is that everybody up here? Do I still need another volunteer? Yep, twenty-five thirty-five. Okay. Does anyone have Revelation seven sixteen? Is that extra? Okay, yeah. Lois, come on up. Mm-hmm. Revelation seven sixteen. You can stand on the side. Revelation seven sixteen, and then I'll conc- I'll conclude with the last one. Revelation twenty two seventeen. Okay, what I'm going to do is going to just lay foundation here of the word, and for those of you who are um, out there, my the audience, the congregation here. I want you to just relax rather than trying to turn to each scripture. Just relax and close your eyes and just listen and soak in and absorb the word of God. And so we're going to just read. And as we read, we're just going to go from one to the next. And the theme of these verses are... Um, what these verses have in common are uh, being thirsty, thirst. And I was explaining to you, when there's a connection, there's never a satisfaction. It's, it's satisfied temporarily, just like our hunger is satisfied temporarily, and then we, and then we get hungry again and we, get, we need more. We get thirsty again, we need more to drink. So in our connection with God, 
is we want more of God. It's a good thing to be, want more. We'll go into his presence, like even in a service or in a conference like this, and we'll be satisfied. And then by tonight, we'll need to, we'll need to drink again. And tomorrow morning, we'll need to drink again and eat again and, and continue to refuel uh, with this thirst. And it's a beautiful thing to, to understand the beauty of the word and accept that the responsibility to drink. Now, Barb, I want you to take that water bottle and just sort of hand it out to me like this. Just, just, just stay in that motion right there, just right there. Mm-hmm. I am dying of thirst. I am so thirsty. I am so thirsty. I'm begging. I'm begging you. Can you please quench my thirst? Please quench my thirst. I'm having, so, I, I'm having a complete breakdown. I am dying here. I need this. I need this. God, I need you. I want more of you. I'm so thirsty. I'm begging you, God. I need you. I want more of you. I just want it. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. What is the problem? I need to receive, I need to do my part to receive and to to drink, to swallow, to to be quenched temporarily, and then I'll need to do that again. So close your eyes and relax and listen to these scriptures. Go ahead. Let's all turn together to Revelation 22. Come on. Verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, come, let anyone who hears this come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. That is the message that Jesus uh, had his angels sent to give us. To give us, to give his church. To give his church. That is the message. That is the message. Thank you, ladies. You can have a seat. Appreciate your help with that. You ladies thirsty? (laughs) Uh, There's the slang when someone is craving a relationship and sometimes that craving includes lust a little bit there's a craving and they're like ooh they're thirsty or they'll say are you thirsty boy you look thirsty girl you are thirsty you look thirsty <laughs> you know when there's that craving and uh and what they don't even realize is that that's actually a healthy thing. It's a healthy thing. It's a healthy desire for connection. Um, but there's only one thirst that really quenches. 
That's a thirst for, for God first. And in order to have a very healthy connection uh, with another human, we have to first get that thirst quenched through, through God. And when that, when that relationship is established through God first, then that ultimate thirst is filled through him, and then it can be refueled in addition to that through other relationships. It cannot be substituted for it. it, it, isn't the, it, it uh, your relationship with God is a thirst that will never end. And um, sometimes there is um, a strain in relationships because of a neediness to get that thirst satisfied through anything other than God. And, uh, and if you see that you are a person that would have a tendency to trying to get that thirst quenched through other relationships outside of God, that's why it's not working for you, okay? And it won't ever work for you that way. Um, so it's important because those, those things are in tandem. I'm going to tell a little bit of a story about myself. Uh, it's interesting because uh, we, I, I was able to be reconnected with the Landises and a few years ago, and the way that it happened was my kids were in youth group, and they announced the brand-new youth intern that was coming on staff. It was Jonathan Landis from Canton, Pennsylvania, and I'm like, wow, what is he doing in Dallas, Texas at Fellowship Church? It was just like one of those things, like blow your mind, small world kind of things. So after church, I went up to him, and I, like, told him his story. <laughs> and he's like, who are you, and how did you know all that about me? It's really, really like one of those moments. It was just so fun. And so I blew his mind a little bit. And then he's like, oh, yeah. And, of course, he remembers some of my family. He remember my grandmother. And the last time that I was here was in 1992. I was pregnant with my last child, Bryson, who is uh, 23 now. And uh, I was here for Sandy's wedding. It was a bridesmaid and her wedding pregnant. And um, anyway, and so, you know, in a sense, it seems like no time has gone by. And on the other hand, Sandy and I have both lived an entire lifetime of life and um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And after I reconnected with Jonathan back in, I want to say, maybe 2000, what was that, maybe 2004? I, I forget what year that was, maybe around then, uh, 2005. I lost track of when that was. But um, it was fun because it helped me to be reconnected with the Landis family, and then I became Facebook friends with all of them. We started calling, and, and then they've visited Dallas a few times, and I'm super happy to be back here. But all that to say, um, it is interesting the way that that we can have perspective at a certain age that we didn't have when we were younger. So we were saying over lunch that how much we, we really hope that God's going to bring the perfect wife for Jonathan. <laughs> so we're all looking, and we all have this, like, common interest of finding Jonathan a wife. So, so um, anyway, it's hilarious, but... Uh, I don't, I don't know. So far, so far, none of us have been successful. So I guess we might have to let him choose his own. Who knows? But if God needs any help or if Jonathan needs any help, we are all available. Raise your hand if you'd like to help. Um, so anyway, uh, but I, I do believe in marriage. I do believe in marriage. Uh, I do believe in, in healthy marriage. And I believe in young marriage. And we have this in common. I believe in young marriage when it's healthy. There's sort of a common phrase. People will say something like, um, 
yeah, we're getting divorced. Well, why? Well, we were really young when we got married like that. Like, like that's a reason. And I'm like, yeah, I was young when I got married too. Um, but just being young isn't the criteria for an unhealthy marriage. So I was, um, even though I was young, I, I did have a respect for, for marriage. And my mom was young. My grandma was young. My great-grandma was young. So it's really cool. So in our family, we are always interacting with five generations. I really think that that um, well, it was God's plan for our family, and I think that it was his plan ultimately because that's how the gospel is very easily passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation because we're interacting with those older generations. So um, I, I interacted on a regular basis with my great-grandmother and grandfather, and then, and then my kids did with their great-grandma, and now my grandkids get to interact with and tell stories with and play checkers with and have fun with, watch movies together and eat lunch together and bake cookies and all that with my grandma, my grandkids, my grandma. So that is their great, great grandma. Okay, so there's five generations. Great, great grandma. Now, what a privilege and a blessing this is for us. This wouldn't be possible had we had just because a an attitude that young marriage is bad or wrong or, um, you know, going to automatically make your life, your marriage unstable. Um, since we didn't have that mindset, we were able to each go into a marriage with some things in mind that we wanted to have a healthy marriage. But it was intentional. It wasn't accidental. It was intentional. And so we were able to pass on those beliefs and those values down to each generation. And so it's really been a blessing when I got married, for instance, we, we put our money together. I, was at, I got married one day after high school, which was pretty rare to do in 1983. It was, you know, not as unusual back in the 50s or 60s or even 70s. But by 1983, like, nobody did that. So it was – I got made fun of a lot for sure. Um, and honestly, there were some reasons that I did that. Now, in hindsight, I can look back that were unhealthy reasons that I wanted to get married so young. I mean, at the time, um, you know, I didn't have the full maturity. But I did have enough maturity to know that, um, that I was capable of making a vow like that. We, we put our money together. We bought a house. We both uh, paid off our cars before we got married. He had been in the same job for three years. He had finished uh, the, the two-year college that he wanted to finish, his computer science you know, degree. And so, so we felt like we were you know, mature or whatever. And so we made that vow. And honestly, it has been a good decision. And um, even though we had our ups and downs and by the grace of God able to um, just barely do it, it was cool because then when our kids um, were, and our daughters and our sons were growing up, we instilled those values within them. And they actually um, received those values as their own. And our daughters were married at 20 and 19, and our son was 22, and our youngest is 23. He's not married yet, so um, and he's not ready either. He hasn't finished college, but he's he feels like he's knowing that he's preparing himself. You know, he he values marriage that way. So I think that this is an important mindset shift. So uh, I made a determination. I know that these ladies did too. That we were going to start training our children from a young age to value marriage to value home, to value family, to value the investment of learning the skills to make uh, 
to have strong relationships and to have uh, so the vital relationship skills as well as the home management skills so that so that when they were um, 18 they we did our job to train them to have those skills now whether they want to do that or not is up to them but at least we did our part to train them in that way and then uh, they were capable so I was asked to share that so I wanted to share that because I think that's important um, I also think that it's important that we realize as we're making life choices and encouraging our generations behind us to do this, that we understand ourselves and that we help them understand that everything is a trade-off and that we cannot compare with others. Because what's right for me isn't necessarily what's right for you. What works for me doesn't necessarily work for you because we all have different set of circumstances and, and we, we all have um, a different calling, a different purpose. So, you know, I got married... My marriage is better than some and not as good as others. You know, I'm thinner than some and I'm not as thin as others. I'm more successful than some and I'm not as successful as others. I mean, you know, I I have, you know, I, I just think that it's important that we take everything in stride and is where it's a natural thing to make comparisons, but we need to always make comparisons both ways if you're going to, you know, um, because uh, we want to we want to keep a healthy understanding. But, you know, I think it's important to try to raise kids and grandkids, depending on where you are. And if you don't have children and grandchildren, then, then if you're a young adult yourself, with the people around you, with the people that you interact with, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbors, your youth group, like whatever, the kids instill values of home and family. Instill a, like, raise the value that marriage and family is important, that a strong relationship with God is important, a strong relationship with others is important, and, the, and that's a foundational value that we can pass on to the next generation instead of the negativity um, about it. Um, you know, and I think the golden rule is something that, is, that we can apply to our life, and as we, again, teach, pass this down to other people, this is going to be something that's going to continue to draw the connection. Um, do you guys remember what the golden rule is? Huh? Cool. <laughs> Grow up. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, but to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And what we want to do unto others, uh, we, could, we could say, Matthew, I'll just read it, Matthew seven twelve. Um, Matthew, Matthew 7, the first part of that is do not judge others. And the reason I want to bring this up is because this is, this is what Jesus was talking about, and this was something that, that was uh, very near and dear to his heart. But this is what gets us tripped up with relationships. And uh, so, and it's something, this, this takes a constant reminder because we're constantly wanting to compare and to judge, when we don't mean to, it's a temptation that happens that way. But um, in chapter 7, verse 12, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all. This is the essence. Of, this is the bottom line. This is what is right. So do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that is a good reminder to help connect relationships. What also makes that very difficult when we know the needs is the, um, is the grief cycle. And I had said before uh, with my diagram, if you have your feelings here, your feelings that is driving your action, uh, 
and and then it's creating the identity, then your feelings of being judgmental, of seeing the problem, of all of that will drive your action to be judgmental and to even act out on that judgment. And then your identity, you're going to be known as someone that really isn't a loving, kind person that's good at relationships. But if we flip that around, and even when you are feeling that way and you're noticing problems that other people have, it's important to put those feelings down here and instead put your identity as as a person who chooses first and foremost to be a person who loves and connects and relates and encourages and is kind and is, you know, so that's got to be your identity first. And then um, when that is your identity first, it will, it, it shifts everything to the right order. When you have a temptation to be judgmental, be like, eh, I'm feeling that way, but mm, nope, nope, no, no, no. Even though I'm feeling that way, I'm going to switch it up. I'm, gonna, I'm going to operate out of my identity, not out of my feelings of judgment. The old yank the plank thing that Jesus talked about, you know, worry about the log in your own eye. And when we're, when we're looking at that relationship management component, it's important to go back, like I talked about in last session, to that self-awareness. And uh, this is maturity that, that helps people regardless of your age. So you can begin to incorporate these sort of mature decision-making processes in your relationships, um, whether you're 18 or, you know, 92, like my grandma. Um, and, and these are just, they're, they're very few fundamental principles that I don't want to say oversimplify, but Jesus really did simplify things. You know, with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, you know, if you're thirsty, drink, and then I'm at the door knocking, open the door. Now we all come in and we go into happily ever after. In the very beginning of the Bible, choose life. In the very end of the Bible, choose life. Uh, In the middle of the Bible, choose life that you might live. (laughs) and live an abundant life. Um, I had one of the ladies say something very special to me, and she said, uh, God's ways are higher than our ways. So it took me back to Isaiah 55, and I thought, yeah, I just want to conclude with this today. This is a great scripture, and it's so, it's so interesting. Anytime you prepare for a thing like this and speaking this much, it's like, okay, God, like, really, what are you going to do? What direction are you going to take things? So the little comments that I hear from you ladies in the restroom or in the hall or, you know, at breakfast or lunch, uh, helps helps me to um, be led by what the Holy Spirit wants to speak directly to you. So I'm going to go to Isaiah 55, and uh, and it starts off the way we had read before. Is anyone thirsty? Come drink, even if you have no money. Come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. There's that word life, like the tree of life. It's in Genesis and again in Revelation. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all of the unfailing love that I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the people. I made him a leader among the nations. You will also command nations that you do not know and people unknown to you. You will come running to obey because I, the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Banish the very thought of doing wrong. Banish the very thought of doing wrong. 
banish the very thought of just going with your feelings. Those feelings don't matter. <laughs> banish that thought. That'll get you in trouble every time. Banish the thought of doing wrong, following the lust of the flesh. Banish that thought. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will give and he will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Let's just sit with that for a minute. Because everything that I've told you this weekend is counterintuitive. It is countercultural. It's counterintuitive. The entire thing is an oxymoron. You know? It really is. But this is God's ways. His ways are higher than our ways. In our ways, it's not logical to do certain things that we need to do. It's not logical to ignore your feelings. It's not logical to be angry and sin not. It's not logical to, to trust a person that does you wrong. It's not, there, there's things just, just that you're just not going to feel like. Um, but when you trust that his ways are higher than your ways, it's not logical that, that you know, I eat your blood and drink your, I, I don't eat your body, drink your blood, drink living water, real water. I'm, none of this, I don't get it. You know what? To have the peace that passes understanding, ladies, give up your right and your need to understand because his ways are higher than your ways. So you're not going to get it. It's not going to make sense to you, but you can trust that it makes sense to him. And so if it makes sense to him, you just got to trust that and know that. So you got to trust that he says, it's okay if you don't have money. It's okay if you have a bad diagnosis. It's okay if all your kids and grandkids are not in church with you and tomorrow. It's okay. Because my ways are higher than your ways, and I'm doing things that you cannot even comprehend. And it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. So we've got to really trust and rest in that. Um, For the rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and the bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. Always produces fruit. My word will always produce fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to do. It will prosper everywhere I send it. And you will live in joy and peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song. The trees of the field will clap their hands. And once where there were thorns, once where there were thorns, I'm talking thorns. Bad situations, thorns, thorns. The cypress trees will grow. Where they were uh, needles, they grew myrtles, and they sprouted up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and his love. So I just hope that this weekend, a little bit of my testimony, and I'm going to conclude with the rest of my testimony, um, will help you understand that where there was really a lot of thorns in my life, and in our marriage, and in, um, in my husband's life, and my life in our marriage, there are, there are wonderful trees growing now, you know. And those seeds were planted in times of brokenness, just like what I gave you the illustration of he takes you, and then he blesses you, and then he breaks you. And then he can give you from that place of humility and that place of brokenness. You know, when we get to a place of humility and brokenness, it's interesting in psychology, it's interesting in neuroscience that tears of futility 
is what creates resilience and adaptability. Tears of futility is when you cry tears from a place of futility, brokenness, I have nothing, I am nothing, I acknowledge the fact that I I don't have the power to make things happen all by myself, I acknowledge that it's not all about me, and I'm, I'm just futile, really. And from those tears of futility, when you cry those tears of brokenness, you cry the tears of futility, in a brain scan with neuroscience, after the tears of futility begins to develop adaptability and resilience. See, one reason why I'm not afraid of things that I've already been through is because I already got through it. So I'm not afraid of bankruptcy now because I already went through it and, I, and I'm okay. I'm not afraid of a lot of things because I already went through it and I survived. So what happens is through those tears of futility, you learn, wow, I really can trust God. He really was faithful, you know. Job learned that. The beginning of his story, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, trials, 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 trials. You're like, what? Are you kidding me right now? Even more stuff he had to deal with. But the end of that story, come on. Is that a happy ending or what? It's a beautiful ending. And when you know the faithfulness of God is true, it has developed resilience and adaptability. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And um, we see it in children oftentimes. If they are, if they are disciplined and, and corrected in love, then they'll cry tears but not of anger and frustration, but they'll, they'll cry. It'll get to a point where they'll cry tears of futility, tears of submitting to you. And then after that, you have this beautiful moment of hugging and kissing and saying, okay, go play. Just don't do that again. And they're like, okay, I won't do that again. I'll go play. And they develop resilience, and they learn, I'm not going to get everything I want, and it's okay. Mommy and Daddy have to tell me no sometimes, and I'm going to be okay. And that's when the adaptability is established. Neuroscience proves that. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Um, but, but it's very beautiful, it's very beautiful when, when we can let the Lord work in us from a place of true, true brokenness and, to, and true humility. God is so good, and he is so faithful. When we want to, when we are at a tough place in that time of brokenness, um, and we, we're at the point of surrendering all, I asked one of the ladies last night, and she said, I learned I need to surrender. And I was like, yeah, I mean, really. And it sounds like it's, let me just say it this. It's simple but not easy. Because it's counterintuitive. It's simple but not easy. To take up your cross, to, to die on the cross, it was simple but not easy. Well, if it was not easy for Jesus, it's for sure not going to be easy for us to die to our flesh on a regular basis. To put your feelings at a place that you go, yeah, I have that feeling. It's a real feeling, but it doesn't really matter. I'm going to do it anyway, whether I feel it or like it or not. 
Got to pretend every day is opposite day. Do the opposite of what I feel like doing. <laughs> because why? Because I'm living out of my identity and my purpose, which is beyond what my feelings want me to do right now. So, so that is, that is God's ways being higher than our ways, but His ways work, and so uh, it's simple but not easy. Coming to that place of surrender. And when my husband and I both came to a place of just total surrender to what God was doing in each of our lives eventually, eventually and ultimately, um, it, was really, it was really awesome because the vulnerability of each of us to God individually and then together as a couple, um, it established a relationship that was deeper than what we had before. Vulnerability is a key to connection. And and shame, by definition, is the fear of disconnection. So my husband had lived with so much shame since he was 12 years old that he kept that secret because he was afraid of disconnection. If anybody knows my secret, then they won't want, they won't want to connect with me. They might even misjudge me and think that I'm a pervert or something, you know, whatever. So the fear of disconnection with the shame, it, it puts up... A, a wall that makes it impossible for connection because you're not being vulnerable, fully vulnerable. So the vulnerability is the key to connection to God and to others and, um, and to ourself, you know. So to be really honest first, and then you can come to a place of full surrender, and, uh, and then will be the fulfilling relationships. So when anyone there's a fill of fulfilling relationships like that, it is a game changer. It is a game changer because it's that strong connection of love that believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never fails. Love of God and, and love of ourselves and love of, that, of others. So, um, so our our marriage since 2009. After that night of my husband being fully vulnerable, I said to him. what would you think about me inviting all of our kids and, and their spouses and my parents to come over to the house right after lunch? And he said, I, I'd like you to do that. So this was seven years later. Everybody came over, and he stood in front of our living room, right in front of our TV. Everybody was on the couch. And my, our son, who was a professional drummer, and he was on a national tour the band that he was playing with happened to be, obviously no coincidence, playing in Dallas that night. So he happened to be at our house that day. And he was on his huge tour. He didn't even live in town. So and my parents happened to just have flown in from a speaking engagement, and they happened to be there. This was on a Monday. And um, so I called everybody over. And everybody sat around the living room. My husband stood in front of the TV, and he wept tears of futility. And we all wept. So grateful. So grateful. And, you know, I was angry when someone said, uh, someday you'll be grateful for this trial. I was like, that is so rude. (laughs) I don't want to have a trial. I'm grateful anyway, you know. Um, 
And I remember my grandma used to say, don't pray for patience. My grandma used to say, don't ever pray for patience or God will give you something. And I'm like, oh, you know, don't pray that you really know love. You know, it's like, oh. But anyway, but the truth is, is that day I became grateful. And our whole family became very grateful for what God did in our life. And, that, and so grateful that God saved our marriage and saved our family and saved each of one of us. I mean, we, we really just were all so thankful for our salvation. Just so thankful for Jesus and thankful for each other. So that moment really bonded our, our family together in a tremendous way. Our children and me, myself, when I tell my story, I, I have zero pain. It's like it's not even my story. When I remember that time in our life, um, it, it's really like it's not my life. I remember it, but I don't feel the pain anymore. I remember the circumstances, but I don't feel the pain. Um, and that is supernatural power of healing. That's what happened on the cross. That's Jesus. That's what Jesus does is he saves you, and it's beautiful, and that's what Holy Spirit can do when we allow him to do that through vulnerability, which is that full confession and that full surrender, and through receiving the power of his love to quench that thirst. Um, so the end of the story is right now today, right before I came here, my husband got a, um, an evaluation of our company, and I was, my mind is blown at the value of our company. Now, it's the company's valued that, that because of the outstanding sales and things and contracts that we have. It's not, the money's not in our account or anything like that. But just to blow your mind, and just because I'm fully vulnerable here, and you're going to be like, she's crazy. Why did she actually say a real number? The value of our company was valued between, I don't know what it really is, like I said, money's not in the bank, but who knows, um, between 6 and $11 million. We didn't, my husband never did get that job I was praying for. What if he would have got that job I was praying for? What if? See, God's ways are higher than ours. Do you think that my husband or I take even any credit of any of that? Do you think that money matters to us? The money doesn't... It's, I mean, it's just money. It's just like on paper. It's not actually in our account. However, that is God's provision. It is blessing. And you know what? James and I both work for free. I, I don't charge my clients. And there's no minimum donation requirement. So but however God wants to provide for me, he does. I don't charge to go speak. If people want to give me something, great. But God and James, our company is 100% um, um, commission, he's worked for 100% commission. And when he first started working and our house about to be foreclosed, I'm like, you've got to get a real job. 100% commission will not work. Well, let me just tell you something. It's working for us. Do we have any guarantee of a paycheck next week? No. Do we have any guarantee that the weather's going to be perfect? Because our, our company depends on the weather being good so we can, so we can work and roof the buildings and, and do storm restoration from hail damage and all that. I, there's no guarantee of anything, but is there a guarantee of everything, people? You better believe it. I don't have insurance, but I have assurance. <laughs> I actually do have health insurance now, but I don't need it. But truly, I, it, it means nothing to me. I'm not, I, I'm a different person. And like James said, I'm never going back. Because he said, when I came in from having that vision, I was like, I don't ever want to live that way again. And he goes, I'm never going back. I'm never going back to having the burden of being successful, to have the burden of being good, to have the burden of 
I've, I'm, I'm never going back. I'm trusting God forever, no matter what. I'm never going back. So we made a solid decision that day, uh, th- those, those different points in our life to never go back. It's been really awesome because God's continued to call us to places of um, new revelation, of new challenge. So it's not a once and done thing. It's not like, oh, yeah, we had this revelation from God. Like, we just ate a big smorgasbord. Now we're full. I'm never going to be hungry. I mean, we are hungry and thirsty on a regular basis, but we're different. We appreciate it more. We're more thankful for our Savior. (laughs) We finally got the maturity to understand. To understand. Like, we're, we're getting it. It's starting to make sense now. We're getting it. We're getting it. We don't get it all, but we're getting those few basic things, you know, starting to get it. So I, um, I'm so grateful. I'll tell you one last story before I conclude. My grandson has, has a, a tracheostomy. And so it, the trach, you know, sticks out about this far. And when he went into surgery to get his trach, my son came back to the waiting room, and he sat there as they wheeled off his screaming, crying baby. Well, at that point, he wasn't screaming, crying because he had been sedated. But when they, you know, put him on the table, strapped him in, he was like, Daddy, Daddy, Mommy, Mommy, you know, crying. Two years old, a little bit less than two, and... They wheeled him back. Brandon sat in the waiting room, and he said, the hardest part is what I was putting him through would change his life forever. He'll always have a scar, and I'm taking his voice away from him. He can scream, and you only, we won't even be able to hear him. He won't have taste buds. He can't go swimming. He can't go to the beach. He can't have sand. We're, we're making him like a special needs kid. I can't explain to him why, because he is too young to understand. So I just had to say, Daddy loves you. And he said, you know, I thought about God, how he puts us through trials, but we don't have the maturity to understand. So he can't explain to us why. But he just says, trust me, Daddy loves you. And Brandon said, you know, someday Landon will be old enough for me to have a real conversation with him. And I hope at that time that his trach will be able to come out. I hope that he'll be able to breathe on his own. But he'll still have a scar. And I would like to tell him a story. And when I tell him the story, I'm going to say, Landon, I made the decision to do that, to save your life. And then he will be thankful. With the maturity to understand God can have a conversation with us to say, this is why that surgery was needed. 
I did it to save your life. And we can be thankful together that your life is saved. Ladies, Jesus loves you so much. Whatever trial you're in, whatever trial you may face someday, whatever season you're in, if you're in the season of him taking you or blessing you or breaking you or giving you, if that, wherever you are in that cycle that goes like this over and over again, even my grandma is 92 and she's struggling with something with her great grandson on the other side of the family. She's like, I'm just trusting God. You know, if we never get to the place of where we won't thirst again, that's not a thing. Not top of the second coming. But we can get to a place where it might be crazy, but we're thankful. Because he died on the cross and he did it to save your life. And to save mine. Adultery, depression, psychosis, bankruptcy. unhealthy grandchildren. I'm thankful. I'm not mad about it. But I'm not going to be mad at the next trial. I'm thankful. And it's crazy. 